Split Take Podcast, episode number 72. This week we're going to be talking about the new Bo Burnham, Burnham. comedy mm. special. Uh, and the BFI Sight and Sound 2012 movie of the week is Goodfellas. It is a, uh, which is a Scorsese film. I'm sure you've heard of it. If you haven't, uh, are you even a fan of cinema? Uh, uh, well, we'll get to well, that. We, we shall get to that indeed. Uh, but before we get to that, we are going to try to uh, do an abbreviated movie diary section as we usually do. But first, Chandler and I were recently in Los Angeles and we went to the famous California. Amoeba Records. Yeah. Yes. Uh, went to the very famous Amoeba Records in Hollywood and we got some Blu-rays. We also got some Blu-rays the, the past week for various reasons. So I think we'll, we'll start with the uh, Blu-ray stuff and we'll go to quick brief diary. Anything interesting we watched and then. Yeah. to our main event. Uh, so who wants to start? You you froze. Did I? Yeah, well, now you're not. Okay. Now we're I'm back. Good? Okay. Yes. All we right. are yet again live. What'd you get? Uh, well, uh, I'll go through the Amoeba ones real quick because uh, it's, it's a rare occurrence for me where most of the Blu-rays I got were movies I have not yet seen. Uh, one of them that I do not currently have on me because it is uh, currently in my girlfriend's house is John Carpenter's In the Mouth of Madness. Um, I like getting John Carpenter DVDs because they have so many special features. They always have like three or four commentaries, theatrical trailers, behind the scenes stuff, documentaries. Um, they're always like two or three discs long. And John Carpenter is one of my favorite filmmakers. Um mm. As far as movies that I've already seen, I picked up a classic, uh, and that is Under the Silver Lake. One, one of, of your favorite favorite movies. Yeah, uh, I, I don't know why I don't have this already. Um, uh, doesn't matter because I have it now and it felt very appropriate picking it up in Los Angeles, California. Uh, the other ones I got, I have not yet seen. And one of the other things that I like to do every time I, I take a, um, a record store trip like this is to get something that I have not only not seen, but I've never heard of. Oh, and wow. This time I like to do that every time. And this time I went with a movie called River's Edge. Mm -hmm. And I went with it because uh, it's got a lot of my favorite things, such as uh, young people being murdered, real life crime stories. It's got a pretty stacked cast. It's got uh, Keanu Reeves. Uh, it's got Ooh. Dennis Hopper, uh, Crispin Glover, who I recently became a fan of after finally seeing Back who, to the Future. Who directed this? I don't know. Hold yeah. on. Interesting. I do find it interesting that with with a cast like that, uh, we haven't heard of it. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, director Tim Hunter. Hmm. Because I guess hmm. it has a commentary track. Uh. Yeah, I I no never heard of this. It sounds interesting as far as I under, I found it in the cult section, yeah. which that's always fun. So it looks very Twin Peaksy. I don't know what year it is. Um, eighty seven. So I guess it precedes Twin Peaks. But uh, I'm gonna watch this soon. I'll update you. Another I would one. Love to hear about it. Uh, Babylon. Mm hmm. Just a movie I've wanted to see for a very long time. Um, which I, is I, I, currently on the Criterion Channel and leaving. It is. The Criterion it's about to leave. Which was lucky because I think I, I even texted uh, Jacob like a week or two that uh, I was going to watch it. But uh, now that I have it, I can put it off for a little bit more. It seems interesting. It's like a it's it's a British film. I'm always interested in British films. Uh, um, it seems to be very racially charged. 
And given I don't know much about racial tensions in England, it seems interesting. It's got a lot of special features, which I appreciate. Um, it's been on my watch list forever. Finally excited to watch it. Uh, also, uh, I got some birthday stuff because it was my birthday recently. And two movies I got. One is a, is a little movie called The Lake Michigan Monster. <laughs> it's a it is cover. A, it is uh, it's an Arrow released film. Um, comes from the the um, cinematic heartland of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Mm. Um, I was very interested in this because the premise looked interesting. It's basically it's very Monty Python-y. It's basically about a, a, a young or a group of sailors, question mark, as they find the titular Lake Michigan monster. I do love silliness. I love nautical stuff. Um, but I was very interested in nautical this because nonsense. nautical nonsense. It's something I do wish. I was very interested in this because this film was made for um, a total of about six thousand dollars. That's that is, is a very small budget. It is smaller than insane. When when was it? How old is it? Uh, twenty eighteen is when it was. Uh, okay, released. so so inflation isn't uh, an issue with this calculation. No, because no. this is this is smaller than the budget we were even considering for, for yes to film your feature movie. Yeah. Uh, so I'm very interested what, but <laughs> this is something I've been interested for a while, but, uh, one thing that has just absolutely, um, got me even more intrigued was the shit ton of special features in the back. Uh, one of which is, uh, two commentary tracks by the writer director, um, Ryland twos. And it says in parentheses, one sober, one drunk, which that is just brilliant. Sober commentary, drunken commentary. That's just wonderful. And finally, so, so maybe I, you can hmm. be the uh, you can do a similar thing, except one sober and one high. I would love to leave my uh, mark, make uh, make history in the history of uh, movie commentary. <laughs> I also went ahead and got uh, Sorcerer. Mm. William Friedkin, who I enjoy his, his version of The Wages of Fear. Yes. In The Wages of Fear is an excellent movie. Um, and I really, really like it. And the only thing I don't like about the wages of fear is like the last 30 seconds. Um, but it's a very tense movie. If you don't know the premise, it's basically an American that is stuck, stranded in South America, doesn't have enough money to get out, is given the task of transporting about one or two tons of nitroglycerin, um, in these trucks across the, uh, tumultuous South American jungle. Um, it is a very stressful movie. The Wages of Fear is, at least. And given William Freakin's absolutely batshit uh, directing style, I expect no less than a good remake. I'm probably going to watch it tonight. Jacob, what do you have? Ooh, good question. Quite a bit. So I'm going to run through it. Uh, this, uh, with with the price tag still on it. Or some balls. It does. Kind he of looks look, vaguely uh, Wellsian. Uh, vaguely like he could uh, a character from like the lighthouse or something from a variety of movies probably would look mm -hmm. at home sticking his head into uh, under the silver lake or something <laughs> like that anyway also jean renoir who we've covered on this uh, podcast before right yes yeah yes director wise sorry i thought you were that yeah. was i didn't realize that was the end of your sentence your contribution yeah. anyway of yes course. it's a jean renoir film i haven't seen it uh i've been watching a bit more of him recently uh particularly back at the beginning of the year when we watched uh grand illusion and um the rules of the game so 
be curious yeah, to see yeah. what this is. This is nice and short, 84 minutes. It is a Criterion Collection DVD, and uh, that's just a funny little, funny little man. It's, uh, yeah. Anyway, it's a funny little man. Uh, let me see. What did I get at Zia first? Oh, yes. So I got uh, Eat, Drink, Man, Woman, which is Ang Lee's debut feature, question mark. I don't know. Uh, but I do like watching uh, directors and just kind of like filling out the filmography a little bit. And this seems like not something uh, I've seen from him uh, before, like not something not like other things I've seen from him because Crouching Tiger, Life of Pi. These are kind of like the big Hulk. budget action movies. And this seems like just a, a family, a good old yeah. uh, Asian family drama, which, as we know, typically tend to be pretty good. Um, mm. Tend to be. Yeah, tend to be yes. There's uh, another DVD somewhere. No, there's a Blu-ray. What was it? Ah, yes, Touch of Evil. I got Touch of. Ironically Evil. enough, yes. After we reviewed it the uh, the other week, um, I realized this is backwards in the anyway. Um, I realized it's not on Amazon, which is terrible. Uh, I don't know what they're doing with this Blu-ray, but I found it at Zia, and I realized that the Blu-ray is one of the uh, has one of the craziest commentaries of all time because it doesn't have just one commentary, uh, but four feature length commentaries. Uh, I don't even know who is on all of them, but I do know <laughs> it features Charlton Heston and Janet Lee. And um, interesting. There's some documentaries, there's some other stuff, but it, most importantly, it includes the theatrical version, the reconstructed version, uh, according to Orson Welles's studio notes, and then also the preview version. So there are three different copies of Touch of Evil on here, which Wow, that, that's a jam packed <laughs> for just what appears to be just like your normal everyday Blu-ray disc. Um, so I did two trips this past week, one to Barnes and Noble, in which I did not intend to get anything, but I found a bunch of uh, a few things under ten dollars and was like, ah, fuck it. Why not? Um, <laughs> thought there was one more, but we can just go through these. So I got uh, the Maldives Falcon. Oh, I have that same exact release, also from Barnes and Noble. Uh, yes. Uh, nothing more to say. I haven't seen it. I know Chandler's not too fond of it, but American Graffiti. It's it's pretty good. Yeah. George Lucas is a hack, though. George I'm Lucas is interesting, and I've not <laughs> not seen any other movies of his other than Star Wars stuff. Not THX. No, no, I have THX. I've had it for You've years. You've seen the yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm trying to. He didn't, he hasn't done much. No, I've seen stuff he's produced, obviously. Yeah, uh, and I've seen his fingers in Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. <laughs> so, uh, speaking of John Carpenter, I got the thing. Whoa! Overdue for a rewatch. Which one did and you get? This this one. Oh, I have that one. Yeah, because like I was saying with the, in the mouth of madness, the one I have is like the Shout Factory release, and that one has five commentary tracks. <laughs> Five. Five. Carpenter's yeah. because Carpenter mm. does like Edgar, Edgar Wright and John Carpenter always have a lot of commentaries because they'll do it like with the actors and then they'll do one with like the crew. And then they'll have their DP do a commentary track. It's very interesting. But that's also a solid release. I mean, as long as you get the movie. Yeah, yeah. that is interesting. Uh, Recently went into my top 10. I'm trying to I feel like I got one more at Barnes and Noble, but um. Maybe that was it. 
Uh, so then I went to Bookman's, the local. Oh my God. Well, an Arizona Triple trip. thing. Uh, well, yeah. And a lot of these are, again, I don't think I paid more than 10 bucks for any of these, which was nice. That's good. Solid. Yeah, it's very good. I got Mr. Turner because. Yeah, hey. You know, uh, Mike Lee. Why not? Timothy Spall. God, hey. I love Mike Lee. So I, I haven't seen this blind buy half. Exactly half of these were blind buys. I got six. So three blind buys, three not blind buys. Um, man on fire. I have uh, this the is Denzel a, Washington. Yeah. Tony Scott, brother of Ridley Scott. Um, I have seen <laughs> clips of this before. And I think the editing one editing class I've, in college. Um, and I was just like, eh, why not? Maybe it's time to watch it. Hey, maybe it's time. It, it was kind of like the uh, shrug my shoulders. And, and I have no reason to buy this, but why not? Um, speaking of directors that I've been going through their, their filmography, I've watched quite a few of Steve McQueen's uh, filmography this year. And I'm going to continue that with uh, Widows. It just. I haven't seen. I, every time I hear Steve McQueen, the first thing I think of is the actor. It's a very unfortunate uh, name. Uh, uh having the same name as him but yeah it, it yeah. is unfortunate and the well, steam queen is a very do? talented director he's a very talented director and I, I still need to finish small acts i have two more to go i'm halfway through that oh my god i completely forgot about small acts now i gotta get my amazon subscription back <laughs> um interesting all right and then the three rewatches uh or not blind buys are uh, three days of the condor which Joel Robert Redford has Robert Redford and Max von Sydow, who oh. <laughs> uh, is very memorable in this film as a um, as a hitman. And I was trying to think what there's a movie I watched recently. Oh, Blowout, Blowout. This is a comment I forgot to make on our Blowout review. Is the John Lithgow in that film plays the hitman who? Mm-hmm. I think for the most part is underwhelming as a, a character or as a, a plot element in the film. He's mostly just there for tension and to be a hitman. Um, Max von Sydow just chews up the scenery and he's potentially more memorable than Robert Redford is in this film. And he's only in it for maybe a collective 10 minutes. Uh, the wow. Darth Vader effect as... <laughs> As they say. Oh, ooh, quick tangent. Speaking of Matt, Ma- Max von Sydow, um, uh, one of the one of the actors in um, in the Mouth of Madness, which I watched recently, uh, is the guy who played Vigo the Carpathian in Ghostbusters Two, which I've never seen. Ghostbusters Two. Are you familiar with the character I'm referring to? Uh, vaguely, it's been a great many years since I've seen okay. Ghostbusters Two. Well, I don't. Plan I learned recently because he's like a he's some sort of European Austrian, maybe I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I was looking through the credits because I was just curious. Um, but that guy, uh, the guy who played or yeah, the guy who played v, uh, Vigo the Carpathian, apparently his voice was very hard to understand. So Max von Sydow dubbed him over. So Max von Sydow dubbed a side character in Ghostbusters 2. <laughs> there you go. Huh. The more you know, that's a fun, fun mm-hmm. fact. That's fun. Uh, speaking of first features, because I know you were doing a, uh, you were watching some of directors' yes, first yes. features recently, preparing for for your own first feature. Very exciting. Uh, this is a first feature which I, I remember fondly. Not the best, but it's pretty good. 
uh, mid nineties. Yeah, it's good. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's good. I don't know. I feel, I feel like I'm going to rewatch it it's, at some point. Um, yeah. Does it have a commentary? I'd love to hear a commentary. It does. Commentary with Jonah Hill and cinematographer nice. Christopher Christopher Bluevelt. Blavelt Bluevelt. Second fun fact of the day. I was listening mm. to a Safety Brothers interview today um, from circa 2017 when Good Time was uh, on the festival circuit. And they were talking about how they finally were able to get funding for their dream project, which was Uncut Gems, of course. And at the time in 2017, they were saying that, yeah, we finally get to make this movie. And they were talking about it. And it says it stars Jonah Hill. So I guess for a brief moment, Jonah Hill was going to be Howard Ratner. And I <laughs> I could see that. I think Adam Sandler gives one of the decade's best performances, but I could see yeah. a Jonah Hill, Howard Ratner. And, and you can see they did eventually go with unorthodox casting, but kind of like quirky, like um, there's not really B movies, but like um, Jonah Hill was in like low quality comedies similar to and super bad and super bad. Uh, but similar to Adam Sandler, who's had a few hits here and there, but it's mostly just yeah. kind of whatever. So uh, it, it is Jonah Hill is a similar vibe to Adam Sandler, but he, he's nowhere near as uh, divisive a figure as Adam Sandler. Uh, <laughs> Very excited for his second film. Yes. And lastly, this was only like three dollars. I got Under the Skin, oh. um, which I've seen once before quite a while ago. And as I was doing my kind of review of uh, what critics were saying was the best of the, the last decade, this one came up a surprising amount. And a lot of so love it. I, I felt it was, uh, it might be time to, to take another look. And um, yeah, that is what I got in terms of Blu-rays. I also want to quickly share two scripts, screenplays I got at Bookman's. Oh, wow. Um, because the, they were also cheap and it's good to, to read screenplays. I got Fargo. Fargo. Pitch perfect. Uh, great. Great I, script. I can already tell it is slightly different than the film, which is interesting, interesting which makes it a more, a more interesting read. No, it's more like stuff I think they cut out. Like there's which is a also scene, interesting because they very rarely do that. Yes. I, like there's a very I've seen the very beginning of Jerry uh, checking in when he gets to Fargo, North Dakota. OK. Before he meets with. Uh, Yes, Carl, Peter Stormhair, Jerry. No, he is Jerry. Carl and Carl. Anyway, (laughs) yes. And then I got one of uh, my favorite movies, uh, My Dinner with Andre, which. Wow, I didn't realize there was a script. uh, Yeah, I mean, yeah, they what they did. And I I really want to do this process at some point, uh, in particular with uh, you and Nick Johnson. I've said this before is. uh, (laughs) The process, how they made this is they had Wallace Shawn and uh, Andre Gregory. They just had conversations about life and about their careers and stuff like that over a period of like a month. And then they listened to the recordings of those conversations and condensed it into a uh, 90. Wow. No, it's almost it's almost like two hour 45. It's like a 100 minute script. We should do an episode on my dinner with Andre at some point. You should. You should. And I'll, maybe I'll maybe we can do it after we finish. Because uh, uh, I know you've been watching the trip movies mm. recently. <laughs> I think they're very similar vibes, although not as good. Sim- similar vibes. I, I almost want to say like. Uh, I also get 
before trilogy vibes from the trip series <laughs> except it's, it's two middle-aged guys <laughs> having a, a bromance and food beautiful yeah that's what i got quite a bit all right so should we go do a, a very brief uh discussion on what we've been watching recently very brief yeah we'll go we'll be brief we have people on our way uh, i'll go first i'll i'll be you know i'll just hit the highlights um <laughs> I guess we could both talk about a movie we watched recently, and that is uh, Steven Seagal's A Good Man. <laughs> this, this, this was my, I don't know about you. No, actually, it's not. It's not. I, I, I take that back. This is not my first encounter with Steven Seagal. Um, <laughs> yes. Hello, gamer. Hello. I'm going to send you the, the Zoom link in one second. We're just finishing up a quick discussion. Yep. Bye. That was Nick. You'll so soon see. I wasn't so, sure if uh, we were going to have a guest or not, but we're having Nick to discuss. Yeah, well, there we go. Anyway. So, yeah, we watched A Good Man, Steven Seagal. Um, it's fucking awful. <laughs> but entertaining. It was, it was surprisingly competent. Um, and I don't mean that as a compliment. Yes. But it was con potent in a way I wasn't expecting a Steven Seagal movie to be. Um, yes. But bad. It's, it's weird because you have to, when you're watching a bad movie and you expect a Steven Seagal movie to be a bad movie. Uh, yes. You wouldn't want it any other way. Um, but yes. you want to like balance between uh, incomprehensibility, which just isn't fun to watch and funny stuff. There's a story there. It's the execution and, that makes it very funny. I'm I'm surprised at like the balance between competency and awfulness that kind of lended itself and particularly highlighted Steven Seagal as a aging, slightly uh, overweight man uh, <laughs> who tries to be an action hero. Which I, I think the competency does he try though? Filmmaking. Does he really try? Yeah. Mm. Wears clothes indoors and outdoors, <laughs> and and, and during. And during intercourse, he wears her... clothes. <laughs> He's just a funny man. Like I just I like a single good line delivery from him in the entire film, which means <laughs> all of his line deliveries were great. The man's wearing more layers than the movie has. But uh, if you're if you're looking to get into the Steven Seagal uh, filmography, perfect place to start. It really is. Um, I also watched I actually recommend it like as a bad movie. Yeah. It's, it's, a, like, it's a very good bad movie. It's a very good bad movie. On Amazon. Um I I finally watched Die Hard. Never seen it. Um avoided it for a very long time because it didn't look like my thing. I was wrong. It was very much my thing. Die Hard is incredible. It's a very fun, very entertaining, very um a surprisingly clever movie. I feel like it really avoids a lot of the, um, uh, I don't want to say tropes, but every time you think you know where it's going, it doesn't. And I honestly think that, I, as far as I know, a lot of the other Die Hard movies don't really uh, um, compare to the first one. And I think there's a lot of factors to it, but I think the biggest factor is that Alan Rickman is so good in this movie. He's so funny. He he's like a serious dramatic version of uh, Werner Herzog. 
<laughs> where I think just part of like his his mannerisms and accent and all that kind of stuff lends to it to he, he can't possibly not be interesting on yeah. a certain level but yes i mean he is a good actor beyond yeah. just him yeah very good movie oh, yeah. well, worth the hype really good um, uh, steelbook blu-ray oh uh, that's wonderful it's got the lighter with the nakatomi plaza symbol on it at the back ah. it's action movie uh, it's action cinema at its finest um on the other hand um, I finally rewatched Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, I, okay, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, there. It is okay. I also watched uh, The Dirty Dozen. Finally watched that. One of the movies I uh, got from Amoeba. What? Oh, so if, so the viewers know we, we are, maybe, are, are we planning a spot? Fuck it, I'll talk about it. I'll talk about Raiders of the Lost Ark. I'll talk about hey, I'll defend it. First ever split take spotlight episode where we just focus on a film we know we have a split take on and delve into into that. So that yeah. could be fun. My Raiders is, but... yeah. Raiders has been one of those movies that I've, I've never been a fan of. I gave it a few years. I went into it really wanting to like it. Saw it in the theater. Didn't do it for me. Hmm. Uh, I also watched uh, two more real quick. I watched The Dirty Dozen. Um, is one of the movies I picked. Oh, that's another movie I picked up at Z. I just completely, or Amoeba and completely forgot to talk about. Dirty Dozen. Uh, I picked it up because it has John Cassavetes, who I love. It's got, a, it's got a really good cast. I didn't even realize until I started watching it. It's got Lee Marvin, Ernest Borgnine, Charles Bronson, John Cassavetes. It's got um, Donald Sutherland, oh. a very young Donald Sutherland. It's basically about a movie about a military general in World War II, U.S. general who has to lead a group of 12 um, convicted criminals into what is essentially a suicide mission. It's very similar to The Great Escape. There's no escape, obviously. Um, It's just guys being dudes for two hours. It's very fun. Ends out of nowhere. It just kind of ends like a lot of 70s movies do. Whatever. Uh, And finally, I watched um, George Romero's The Amusement Park which uh, you haven't heard of this it was okay so this is a movie that george romero made in the late 70s early 80s um he was contracted to make um essentially a psa movie about elder abuse um so he made this like 58 54 minute experimental movie about this uh, old man who goes into this amusement park and is essentially abused by everyone there it's obviously a big metaphor for um, elder abuse in general by society and how we uh, sort of ignore them, cast them to the side and don't let them in on uh, a lot of stuff. Um, it was a movie that George Romero made with the intention of this company using it as a PSA. They saw the movie. They thought it was way too fucked up. So they scrapped it and it was found recently and uh, Shudder, the horror streaming service, which I recently became a member of, um, took it and uh premiered it on their service as a uh, premiere whatever exclusive uh and i watched it and it's very very good hmm. i've only ever seen from george romero and night of the living dead um but the premise sounded very interesting and the history behind it sounded very interesting it's a very god it's 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 kind of tough to watch it's essentially just a movie about a kind old man who's being shit on by everybody hmm. um it's very frantic. It's very experimental. It's very surreal. Um, 
nightmarish and again it's only 54 minutes i definitely recommend it um hmm. yeah okay new release one of the wow. few new releases i've seen what have you watched uh go super quick uh, <laughs> i watched uh the trip to italy and the trip to spain which is of course both part of the the trip to series uh starring steve coogan and rob bryden uh, we've talked about this uh, before we both watched the trip, the original, um, and then you I've seen watched the first two, the, yeah. the trip to Italy. Um, and so I don't know. I just got the the hankering for uh, journeying with uh, Coogan and Bryden <laughs> across European landscapes, eating food and making uh, terrible jokes again and again and again. <laughs> um, they are both. All three films are essentially the same thing, just recycled over and over, and somehow it manages to to continue to be interesting. And I think, in particular, the uh, the trip to Spain, um, it, it's not necessarily trafficking in any particularly deep ideas, but it does have a very interesting ending that kind of um, adds some like thematic oomph to the film. Interesting. Where I think the perhaps the trip to Italy lacked. Um, Anyway, I'd recommend you continue watching the series because I know you haven't watched Trip I want to Spain. To. I will most certainly be watching a trip to uh, Greece, which is the last one. Uh, just the latest complete, one. The latest one. Um, yes, latest. Uh, yes, so they were both great. In particular, there's a great scene. I don't know if you've ever seen the Monty Python sketch. Not not from one of the movies. It's a sketch the from the, the show. The, uh, the Spanish Inquisition sketch. Yes. Yep. Okay. So uh, I think this is in the Spain one and not the... Yes. They I hope so. Um, Steve Coogan, they're in Spain and they're they're talking about the Spanish Inquisition. And so Steve Coogan starts to do the an impression of the Spanish Inquisition scene uh, and starts quoting the entire thing. And then they were also talking about Marlon Brando and a film that he filmed in Spain. And so uh, Rob uh, Bryden starts doing a Marlon Brando impression of the Spanish Inquisition scene from Monty Python. And it's absolutely silly, uh, <laughs> an intersection of two things I really love and the fact that it's it's just, it's great. Um, uh, what else is there? I watched another round again, just uh, another round of another round. Great movie, uh, favorite one of last year, still. As always, uh, just as impactful. Me too. Yeah. Just as, as emotionally involving the second time, which I, I really wanted to, to figure out. That was the big question for me. And then I also rewatched the the Irishman, which we have reviewed before on this podcast. Wow. Um, all of it. All of it. Second yeah. time seeing it. Uh, third. No, no, so no third. because I watched it twice in yeah. like forty eight hours for the podcast previously. Um, I just shared the link with Nick. Uh, yeah, uh, The Irishman. It's great. I think I may bring it up a little bit in our Goodfellas conversation. Um, but my opinion essentially probably hasn't changed much since our, our original discussion. It's great. It's fun. Um, I really noticed this time, really noticed the age of the main three cast, in particular, <laughs> Robert De Niro. And I'm not talking about the the CGI. I'm talking about the way he carries himself and his arms. You can tell he is an elderly oh. man. And yep. the thing that makes this charming is like, you know how like Citizen Kane and a bunch of other movies do this where like a young person plays a older person. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then like uh, when you're a child, you you play as as grown-ups and all that kind of stuff. Children do that often. And so this feels like the reverse of that, of older people returning to their childhood, uh, cosplaying as young, uh, hip gangsters and mobsters. And so it feels more like they're just having fun and telling uh, a very interesting his- history lesson. Like it's, it's not actual, some of it's made mm-hmm. up, some of it's embellished upon. But it is history. Like I think there's a lot of a lot in there that people aren't familiar with, and I think the Irishman turned people on to that part of uh, some very interesting stuff that that went on in the 50s, 60s, and 70s with the union and the mob and yeah. all, all that kind of stuff. So I just it, want to say that yeah. in regards to this criticism, I feel like it's one of those things that um, you easily could have circumvented if you just like explained in the context of the story that. Um, Frank maybe doesn't move as quick because of injuries from the war. I feel like it's one of those things that would have been so easy, but it doesn't bother me. I also oh, rewatched no. The Irishman a few months ago, and I I put it in like my top three Scorsese. I, I think I think it stars. I think it might be one of my favorites. It's very good. I it's for some good. reason, and we'll get to this in Goodfellas. I don't know why, but I, I like Scorsese's later, longer <laughs> films, for uh, as opposed you to like some of his earlier. Films? I, I, I know I'm shocked. I know I have stated before that the Wolf of Wall Street is one of my favorites and this. The Irishman continues that trend. The Wolf of Wall Street is one of my least favorites, which that should have been the split take. But hey, oh, I just I just maybe, ordered that Blu-ray because that is literally like four four dollars on Amazon. And I, I don't yeah, I got it. it for like six bucks at uh, Barnes and Noble. It's very it's good. Very cheap. It's All right. Uh, Nick, Nick has been hanging out uh, as you could probably Maz already uh, tell. Uh, He's been on the podcast before, of course. Welcome, Nick. We are here to talk about uh, Bo. Can you hear us, Nick? Burn Ham. Boseph Burnham. Herm. His new Netflix special thing inside. Uh, so much so much to say. I see you can, don't can, hear can, you. Can we hear you, Nick? Are you going to record on your end? I will. Uh, he's also kind of. Ah. He's, he's starting recording. Uh, so I will just do a quick summary while uh, until Nick gives me the signal that he's recording. Um, Inside is a, a project that uh, Bo has been working on for the past year in quarantine, filmed it all in one room of his house by himself, uh, directed, written, all that kind of stuff. It is a musical comedy special thing. It's like a one man show type uh, deal. Yeah, a one man show. Uh, it is it defies easy categorization. I think it fills checks a bunch of different boxes. Uh, which is partially what makes it so very special. And uh, spoiler alert, this is going to be uh, half an hour or or more of us yeah. just, just gushing about it. So what did we uh, think of Inside? Well, also, and I want to just about. go ahead and say that the Safdie brothers themselves have, have classified this as a movie. So I consider it a movie. Well, oh, I, I mean, yeah, that's... I would, not sure if we want to have that conversation, but this is like 100%. I almost think that Netflix calling it a comedy special, even even uh, uh, Bo in, in Inside says special, calls it a special, whatever that means. But this is a movie like I. Like, yeah. Plain and simple. A lot of cinematic elements. Bo is a actual film director um, and plays we, the form a lot. And he has now added to his filmography uh, his best film. Uh, yeah it's better it's better than eighth grade 
It is. Eighth grade. Well, right. his, There's his nothing on eighth grade. It's just, too. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I did in slight preparation. I did watch a little bit of uh, Make Happy. Um, but yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting because uh, um, I, I, I've i been a fan of Bo Burnham for, God, 10 years at this point. <laughs> and I, I have, for context, I have not. Like, I've yeah. seen one or two YouTube videos and that's it. Like, I, I've I, no I remember back in the day back in the day in high school when his youtube videos started getting big i watched them i thought they were funny i remember um going out of my way to dvr his comedy central presents special because i thought he was hilarious um just for a brief background bo burnham's a musical comedian um he got big on youtube his first like two specials which are his like comedy central thing and words 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 are very much in the typical vein of uh, musical comedy it's very clever, though, if you go back and watch a lot of those old uh, songs, he's just absolutely insane with his wordplay and his jokes um, from 2013 on. He had a special called What? After that, he had a special called Make Happy. Those two were a lot more similar to Inside, where he still had the foundation of musical comedy, but he took a lot of very creative and introspective deviations into his own mind, into a lot of like really complicated subject matter. And then uh, 2016 was his last outing, which was Make Happy. And at the end of that, similarly to how the end of Inside happens, it concluded with a skit of him like going inside and locking the door, whatever, because at that point he had said that he was done performing. I honestly, because like two years after Make Happy, we got uh, eighth grade. I was not expecting another Bo Burnham special. I thought he was like legitimately done. He seemed to be moving on to film directing stuff. I was very surprised when he announced uh, a new one. Then the more and more I looked at it, I thought, okay, this feels like a very natural progression because a huge part of why he didn't do those specials anymore was because he had a lot of like uh, nervous breakdowns, panic attacks on stage, because as we will discuss, his comedy is so precise and constructed that any if you're not 100 percent while you're in that arena, you're going to fuck up and it's going to you know ruin everyone's night ruin. Um, so I wasn't expecting any, anything. But yeah, this this feels like a very natural progression. It feels like a lot of what he's done as a filmmaker combined with the 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 traditional foundation of comedy, a comedy special. But it's obviously so much more. Um and yeah, tell me what you guys thought. It's very interesting to me that you two. Hi, I'm recording this. now. Oh, good. Oh, okay. So this I is wanted the first to say, time uh, that hi, people Nick. would have heard my voice. Yes. Hello, Naj. <laughs> Hello, Naj. Welcome to Hello. the podcast Johnson. again. Good time. Yes. Yeah, you know, you are the first guest to appear on the podcast now that we are doing uh, live Zoom recordings of this and uh, doing video on, on YouTube. So mm-hmm. all that, all that kind of. <laughs> Good stuff. Special. Yeah, um, dude, this so, is pretty based. Yeah, welcome, Nick. If you could, <laughs> you can see my fights, uh, my arcade stick in the background. It's pretty oh good. Oh my gosh! Badass. You playing Tekken? Playing Guilty Gear? Guilty Gear, <laughs> dude. It's so sick. Uh, anyways, if if you could do a quick rundown of your history with uh, watching Bo's comedy stuff, and then uh, oh maybe kick off general thoughts on the special. <clears throat> well, I have probably like the polar opposite of Chandler's history with Bo Burnham up until watching this, I had, I was, you know, viciously indifferent about Bo Burnham. I really didn't like anything he put out. I thought the, I I've always found like comedy music kind of obnoxious. 
except for like Weird Al. I think Weird Al's the only one that's ever done it effectively. I think everything else I'd ever seen. Not even Lonely Island? No, I hate dog, especially Lonely Island. I hate have it. I mean, it was funny you, in like fourth grade. <laughs> have either of you I'm heard 25, of? I'm 25, man. I need, I need, Matt? I need concepts. Mm. What's up? There is a guy from the 50s and 60s, Tom Lehrer. Uh, this is like super. This is like the Tom origin Lehrer. of comedy. Uh, t- the origin of comedy music. Like, if you wanted to draw, like, Bo, Bo Burnham to, I don't even. He's probably not even inspired. It's so like obscure reference, but he's like the first person I can really think of who ever did like performing comedy music. And on YouTube, I think there's a couple, the Masochism Tango and Poisoning Pigeons in the Park. You know, classic, uh, <laughs> classic fifties uh, fifties tracks. So, yes, <laughs> I, th- I think he does comedy music well for. It's very much of its time, but it's it's interesting little time capsule. Mm. Anyway, continue. Sorry, a little comparison piece. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I really from what I have seen of Bo Burnham, I thought it was like okay, clever, not really my thing. I liked the one thing I liked specifically was one the end of one of his previous specials was like a Kanye thing. Yeah, and, like, and then exactly. he he and do you think I think I connected to that? Like looking back at it now, I think I connected it to it a lot more because he was it was really personal and it like got really raw, and that was real one of the only times he had really done that apparently from what I know now. But um, and then I I watched Inside on a complete whim. Um, you were the first one of us to watch it. No, I watched it before him. Did I you? Think Chandler watched it before oh, me. Okay. Yeah. I just I I kept hearing good things. Everyone that watched it said it was amazing. Um, it was top on Letterbox like immediately, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, it was crazy. On, didn't. The, um, like, and I watched it on a top, whim and top? I loved it. Obviously, it was on the top. As Letterbox? in, as in, like when you log into Letterbox, the homepage it says like popular this week. Ah, like immediately ah, it was there. Okay. I'm sure it, it's in the top 250 now. It is on Letterbox. It's, yeah. The fives are stacked to the brim, and there's yeah. like the, nothing else. It's insane. If I remember, I looked at it like a week ago because I, I was wondering because actually, I don't know if you've checked the letterbox top 250, like the the yeah, general the, the general list, not general. the feature, just the general. It's got some new some shuffling has been going on on that list, which is interesting. Has Cowboy Bebop been dethroned? Oh, yes. Has it? That's well, tough. it's one of those things where like that is the list where like it doesn't matter how many votes you have. It could be like five votes. And if they're all five stars. So there's some wonky yeah, yeah. things on there that get up to the top. Um, but anyway, I think I think um, inside is within like the top hundred and ten. I could say yeah. last time. Dang, OK, that makes sense. Going dummy. Yeah, it's doing really well. Um, And yet somehow yeah. I feel like more people need to be aware of it. <laughs> My mom watched it and didn't give me a reaction, so I don't know uh, what that means. Perhaps she she may have not finished it. That, that I would be the worst thing. watched the this worst with things. two of my Tucson friends, um, friend Alana and my other friend, other Jacob. Uh, they had very interesting reactions, which uh, uh, my friend Alana she is a a um, a big fan of uh, bows and very familiar, and obviously she loved it. Um, and then my friend, other Jacob didn't know, like, I, I think literally nothing had never seen any Oof. content from him before. Wow. Um, and he is also, uh, not on the 
political side <laughs> that Bo clearly comes down on in yes, the special. Yeah. And so that was a turnoff for him and he left halfway through. Interesting reaction. I disagree. Interesting And, and I think if you make it to the end, there is enough to, to be worthwhile, especially if you're our age. Um, and I'd be curious to see more like older people's reaction. But it's very much something that is targeted at 30, 35 Zoomers. Yeah. Oh, yeah, if anything, it, yeah, I feel it appeals more towards like Zoomers than no. our age. De- no, yeah. definitely to our age. I mean, I think so. I, th- I think he's aiming at potential uh, specifically at uh, Zoomers, but it is very much 30, perhaps. I mean, it's coming from his perspective, yeah. his perspective, his perspective is essentially just a few years older than than yeah, ours like five, five years, years older. older yeah and Four part now. in the uh the very famous it's on youtube it's the they released the welcome to the internet track and in that track he when the song kind of gets low he says uh it didn't used to always be like this right before the towers fell um insinuating that Circa he's addressing 99. the song to zoomers who don't remember that but we yeah. are just like just on the cusp of not remembering and remembering that incident five. Yeah, that was five so I, that's like my first uh conscious memory yeah that's same so uh, we're, we're like right on that cusp of like yeah. not quite who he's exactly addressing in a lot of the songs but also we're, very much someone we're in who, between we're, we we've always been on the brink of being zoomers yeah no i'm definitely a coomer though for sure so <laughs> i'm an optimistic doomer so, uh, long story short, I've seen this about four times now, um, and I've listened to the album. I I can I I've lost count how many times. I, I need to stop listening to the album. I, I, I need really to. need to stop. I I don't want this to become one of those things where I listen to it so much that I can't. I physically become sick sometimes after listening to a song too much, and I don't want I don't want to ruin inside like that i don't i can't it would it would break my heart but the thing about it is that unlike a lot of stuff where i I similarly listen in that uh uh, pattern uh, inside i feel every time i listen to it i'm unearthing more because lyrically i think this is his best yet Mm -hmm. i mean so strong lyrically it's so like this whole special it's essentially just a string of uh of various skits and songs with some really impressive visuals behind it um, but what I appreciate most about this is that it's it's very it's very stream of consciousness, yes. but it's also very constructed. I think it has it's basically just a trip inside of his mind, all of his fears, his anxieties, his his uh, his overall pessimism, I feel. But it it really, I think, encapsulates a lot of what people are feeling, not just, you know, throughout the pandemic, but just in general. Um, in a way that I, I feel no one has really captured, like, exactly how I feel on a lot of things. Um, but it's also open ended to a point where, like, I can't I'm still on the fence on whether or not this is a a hopeful or a pessimistic um, project. And I, I, it's been very interesting to see people's different, like, interpretations of it all. Um, you've seen it four times a day. How many times have you seen it, Jacob? Uh, I'm going to say about like two and a half times. Yeah, I've still I, only seen it the once. I downloaded it 
last night on Netflix. So I've been kind of just watching bits and pieces over the past 24 hours. Yeah. It's I mean, there's there's so much come. It's so dense, not even just musically, lyrically, thematically, the, the it's visuals. very dense. Yeah, the visuals, too. I mean, like it's it looks amazing. It's incredible what he managed to do by himself. I, again, I don't know how by himself this is. I would trust that he is mostly working alone. But if, if you I look mean, at the, the lighting, credits, um, yeah, there there are people obviously helping him. And it's mostly just post. managerial stuff, post stuff, producers, um, color. I, I think the only I the thing colorist. you, could, you yeah. could really point to that someone had someone other than Bo had a creative mind going on was the coloring of the footage. And even then, that's that's not all that much. They just much, do what both tells them to do, too. Right. And, yeah. So I, I think we have to take him at his word. And I think it's entirely possible and plausible that he did everything, essentially, mm. with regards to pre-production and yeah. production. But Bo, Bo is a pretty genuine guy. I feel like if there were a lot more people helping him, he'd be a lot more vocal about it. I'm sure something like this is very difficult to do all by yourself. Um but yeah, a huge part of this, like what I think is interesting is that it's not only like examining uh, the world at large at the moment, but it's also very um, it's very self-reflective, self-examining in a literal way as well, because there's a lot of this where he Bo is just watching himself. Mm -hmm. um there's there's the hilarious skit of him reacting to himself reacting to himself reacting to himself that's amazing <laughs> there is um the skit where he's playing a twitch stream of himself he's playing a video game based on his life there's the part where he he is being projected onto himself that's that was i was gonna say that's one of probably one of the most powerful moments of the whole thing is it, it's him well, I, clearly later in the in the recording process. He's longer beard, longer hair, and he's projecting on top of himself his reflections of suicide and how society kind of reacts to someone that is suicidal. And it's like that that when I first saw that, it was I was like, wow, whoa. The the thing tough. that's really struck me over the listening to the album in order and also watching it a few times is that I mean we, we've talked claimed made the claim that it's a very well constructed piece and i think that goes beyond just the the kind of moment by moment basis the the editing and the the technical side but since we are making the claim that it is a film i think there is a a, a genuine narrative to the whole thing and i think that that's twofold one obviously there's like this this subtle meta narrative of him making the film within mm -hmm. the thing because it starts with the second uh, sequence is him playing with lights and getting things set up and then throughout the course of the film um he he kind of like checks in you get his his birthday so like there's a sense of progression of time and at the very end he's like i'm done and he, he gets <laughs> uh the existential dread of coming to terms with finishing a project that you've you've given so much to and so there's there's a narrative there a meta narrative there. And then furthermore, what I found very interesting is that there is a kind of um, narrative going on with the the themes of the uh, the special in that it starts very much uh, about the audience. It starts uh, addressing the audience 
and kind of like big societal things of comedy, making jokes during uh, while everything's going on. Uh, yeah, how the, the world front half works is a lot funnier. Uh, stuff like uh, white yeah. numbers Instagram. Half, the first the first half is also a lot more standard to what you would expect like a Bo Burnham product to be, as opposed mm. to the latter half. Yes, being a lot more raw. Uh, but on subsequent viewings, it is equally as profound. I don't want to make it seem uh, no pretentious. It, it is, but, it's um, profound, but the the first half is more. The songs are more front loaded with their comedy elements, whereas the introspection is a little more hidden. Whereas the the deeper you go, it like at a certain point, it it's like it's silliness with some poignancy. But towards the end, it is just it like so many artists that I love, musical artists, stuff like Jeff Rosenstock, Andrew Jackson, Jihad. And the reason why I love them is because they can have such silly and witty lyrics but also within the like a very well constructed song that never lets the wittiness of it overtake it and it turn it into a comedy song like a lot of those like second half of the uh, special songs are just so profound and not silly in the way that the first few are yes well, yes and honestly uh, on subsequent viewings it, it becomes less silly <laughs> Even the silly stuff. Like, I, I don't think I laughed. Partially, this is because I, I was watching. The first time I watched it, I was watching with, with people. I haven't laughed. I find it mildly amusing sometimes. But I, I think for the most part, every single song, even the silly, quote unquote, silly ones, are very, like, there's a point. He, he is he is saying something in every single song. And yeah. the the organization of the content is about everyone it starts out about everyone's interaction in the during the pandemic with like texting and instagram how the world works jeff bezos um and then as it's going on like we said he's getting more introspective and making it more personal so it's like kind of like a funnel going down all the way to uh to one of the most emotionally impactful and relatable things I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, I cannot understate uh, state that enough. Um, All eyes on me. It's kind of like the the emotional high ma- uh, climax of the whole whole thing, and then kind of goes back to a, a summary at the end of, of the whole thing with a goodbye. Which that's has, interesting to me hmm. because it wasn't until recently that I realized that everybody was in love with that song, and I think that song's okay. <laughs> For me, what you're talking about, like the emotional high, for me that was funny feeling. Same, which is which is right. I was about to. I agree with Chandler. It's right. The right. Okay. No, no, no. Yeah, we're not disagreeing here. Essentially, I'm perhaps being a bit more granular, but those two are the climax of the film. They're right next to each other. Yeah. Yeah, but it's that funny feeling is like this nice, uh, great. Like it's a great song in and of its own right. It's probably just the, the best song of the special. But All Eyes on Me was the most resonant one for me for yeah. reasons we, we can get into, but I don't need to at the moment. Anyway, yeah, um, I, I relate incredibly to uh, what yes. Bo Burnham is sharing and expressing here. And it's it's amazing that this day and age that someone is is putting that out there. Like this, this seems like a new, something new. Like we haven't seen something quite this, so personal in 
kind of like I don't want to be as grand saying like the history of cinema, but you know, there are things that like there are movies that like will will you can connect to bits and pieces here and you can see the direct oh the director put a little bit of himself here. This is just completely Bo Burnham. This is so this yeah. Is, yeah. vulnerable this is, and sharing and everything. It's it's astounding. Yeah. Um another thing too is that you know, in relation to the passage of time, obviously this is filmed over the course of a year and you can tell that by basically just his appearance. His uh, but what I think there's so many things within the, the film itself that correlate to what I feel a lot of people are feeling throughout this last year. Um, like uh, as far as themes go, I feel like as the film goes along, it becomes much more dense and much more um obsessed with like these sort of uh the these analyses of the world and why it's not working there's this like i feel like over this past year a lot of people have just realized how fucked everything has always been the pandemic has made these problems a lot more apparent yes uh, specifically how how like driven our entire society is by um, money and uh, greed money and stuff like that um and so you have things like you know the bezos songs which are really funny congratulations do <laughs> <laughs> he, he rhymes buffett with zuckerberg can fucking suck it suck it that yeah that's that's a slick fuck their right wives there. drink their blood come come on jeff get them <laughs> But it's like one of those things where, you know, towards the beginning of the pandemic, you know, you have songs like the Bezos songs or mm. you have uh, um, That's How the World Works, where, you know, I think at that point, that must have been like the summer or really, you yeah. know, post George Floyd type stuff. where People are people still having fun, kind of interacting like Amazon, yeah. we get stuff on Amazon still, all that kind yeah. of stuff. But the but like the, that cynicism is there. It, it's it's. It's approaching. The cynicism. Yeah, and, yeah. And There's like little foreshadowings of of the yeah. darker topics that uh, arrive and later. It's playful. Like in again, like oh, that's yeah. how the world works. I feel like a lot of stuff that Sako based Sako uh, says are things that people became hyper aware of. I was going to make this joke. You just reminded me <laughs> in the pandemic. But towards the end, like a specifically that funny feeling like it, it's not playful anymore uh it's no. like a lot of the lyrics in that funny feeling are just fucking apocalyptic and i feel like with the amount of time that people have had to like just reflect on the world where they can just sit back and watch it from the comfort of their own home like specifically yeah. things like all eyes on me that's how the world uh, uh, uh the, that funny feeling welcome to the internet it just it welcome to it the internet is especially dark too if you go back yeah. through it yeah, yeah. if the it this is inspired this realization multiple existential crises crises <laughs> in me and yep. especially like Same. this morning too early I, I got to work really early this morning for some reason i felt the need to put on uh that funny feeling while i was working that was that, that was the wrong choice that was not helpful for productivity <laughs> <laughs> or or my uh so my positive too, mental health but yeah yeah, yeah. in a good way what were you gonna do yeah I like oh I don't know I was just gonna have it on my hand okay I was gonna, cool. yeah I don't know that was really the joke I maybe your sock puppet puppets now giving the criticism of uh yeah. base criticism of <laughs> pedophilic corporate elite <laughs> <Lads> um, have... <laughs> I 
I was gonna say I really appreciate the little foreshadows. I didn't. I mean, I don't mean to go back to this, but the little foreshadows he hides throughout the song. Because I've been listening to the song so much, I've mm-hmm. been like really able to dig through the lyrics at this point. And I think like every single song, like it even starts out as simple as like in comedy. Right at the end, he says, "You know, I've been not doing." What, he says something along the line. I'm paraphrasing. I've been not doing well, but now I'm back doing comedy. And he just kind of like slides it in there and he says it positively, but you're kind of like, oh, wait a second. He hasn't been doing well. He didn't really reference that yet. And, you know, as the songs go on, he slides little lyrics in there, here and there. And, you know, at the I think the where really like the shift really happens from social commentary that's kind of uh, still has the humor in it to the dark is like the the 30. I think it's like right when he mm-hmm. turns 30 with the clock part well, where it's just like him for a minute sitting there in silence i think it's that moment where it, it, the whole shift that's kind of like the uh you know the yeah, the lady yes. ringing the doorbell moment and i'm not even 30 and i still get existential crises every time my birthday rolls yes. around it's not my birthday is not a good mental health time unfortunately <laughs> you know it's weird i just had my birthday the other day and it's always the night before the night before i'm like the god like the other day i was like this is my last night of being 25 holy shit and I wake up and I'm 26. I'm like, eh, I'm, I'm 26. I'm still only 26. <laughs> I got a year left of being 26 and then I have a year left of being 27. Like, yeah, it's fine. Mm. Whatever. Mm. Yeah. But I can't imagine like that because 30 is a big number. Just That's a general. big number. It, it's a number where people, I feel wrongly feel that they're getting old. They're their uh, child. Still- oh, I don't think I think I don't think it's wrongly. I think there's some good reason. They, they probably don't need to feel it, feel it as much as they do. Yeah. But that's obviously yeah. since it's a nice round hole number, you're done. You're you're 10 years past around college and it, it, you're starting to feel like, oh, I, it, settling in that you are officially an adult and no longer. I'm a work part of the, the, the young society, yes. the youths. Yeah. And so I can't imagine that, you know, feels nice. But again, going off of the, the the progression, I feel like this thing also really captures like you can tell that, you know, the songs represent his sort of like um, bursts of creativity that I'm sure he has just staying in bed all day, whatever, or mm-hmm. you know, staying uh, inside all day. But it also mirrors his like sort of depressive episodes because you have the high highs of bursts of creativity, but you also have the low lows where he's you know there's no there's no comedy or music to mask what he's saying uh these are the sections that are very much um uh, deconstructing the filmmaking process this is where you see all the shit that's on the ground um this is where you really feel those lows but i feel again it it really mirrors what uh i assume a lot of people felt over this past year Mm. levels one of the ones i really like is the one right after white uh woman's instagram where it's just like a shot of him just like re-watching it and he's just kind of like sitting in a curled ball and the whole room's dark and you just see him on like the edge of the frame and i think that's one of like the 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 first like really really reflective moments and he doesn't even really say anything but i really like appreciated Mm -hmm. that moment yeah what really makes it a like a cinematic special are those little like beyond just the songs and stuff like that. Like if it was just these songs, it would probably feel less like a movie than it actually does. Um, But the fact is like he's inserting these moments of him just talking and sharing. And sometimes it's just shots in between of there's one where he's like sit lying in bed. um, And there's usually interesting lighting going on with that. And the, the shots independent of the songs or any of the content often have meaning in and of themselves that add on to what he's trying to say. There's this great one. 
I, I don't remember which song or what it's in the beginning where he's lying on the floor, uh, head on a pillow talking mm. uh, to us. And like, there's all the, the wires and stuff um, around him. And it almost like, it felt like his, like the jumbled mess of his brain because he was like in the corner and it felt like this was like all emanating yes. from that. That's, that was a great shot as well. And he's kind of reflecting on if social media was a good idea, if, you know, allowing children to use social media is a good idea. Yeah. And then Something he ends it. Is, he is ends that all, by all of our worth being based on, you know, wealth, a good idea. He ends that by, by very abruptly saying I'm horny. Cut to <laughs> sexting. <laughs> and cut to sexting. My least See, favorite song. Oh. Um, what's interesting? Well, I suppose there has to be to one. me is that if you look, I looked in Bo Burnham's Wikipedia, um, and he, mm-hmm. you know, there's like a section for influences because he talks about you know who he influenced him. And if you look at his the, the influence section, it's like 99 percent of what he lists are comedians, just various comedians, comedic actors, stand-up comedians, and he lists one filmmaker of those bunch, and that filmmaker is John Cassavetes. Which I find very interesting because a lot of those sections remind me of like Cassavetes and specifically the ending, the ending. I'd love to like look to see if this, you know, this is the case. But the ending to this is very, very similar to the ending of the John Cassavetes film Love Streams, which is, I think, my favorite. Um, I was was making connection, mental connections to opening night. (laughs) <laughs> no i wouldn't bring up opening this podcast <laughs> but the yeah the ending to love streams is also it's like it's it's the most surreal john cassavetes has ever gotten it feels completely out of left field for him but it's very similar in that it it's it's a spotlight it's kind of it's almost lynchian that final uh it shot is kind of, him of lynchian trying to get back into the house or whatever um but then you have a shot of him watching him trying to get into the house all of these introspection things um just really they, they resonate more than anything else i think um like that shot of him just watching himself perform as like a 16 year old mm. especially since it comes after him turning 30 and that it, um, it's followed by the song of him reflecting on how he's made mistakes as a youth so it's like yes i will say this though uh there are a few of these performance sections that just don't they sometimes it makes me cringe I'm not gonna lie. Yes, no, no, no. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna agree with you and echo you there. And the thing is, is I've, I, upon a second viewing, I, I bumped it up to five stars, and I think it's the case that it is, it's so damn creative and well put together. Yes. That even yeah. though there are parts that I don't, I don't think work, these are like small moments, interconnecting moments that are not, yeah, uh, necessarily harmful to the overall narrative and all that kind of stuff. And so I like. Really, I don't care. Yeah, After the, my second viewing, like, it's just what what, so what part specifically good. did you are you referencing, um, Chandler? For me, okay, so there's that one part where uh, the the camera is way in the back, um, hidden amongst the sea of filmmaking equipment, and it's Bo like trying to get through a line. He gets frustrated and he has a little anger outburst. I'm just watching that. And I'm like, okay, relax. So, okay, sometimes <laughs> like, it's it a very seems... convincing. It seems like it can be a bit much sometimes. That one works for yeah. me in terms of like, I was the, say, I, there's I, a I lot of performance more. stuff. There is, however, these are like, this is like the minor, uh, how minor yeah. my, my complaints are. My specific thing is once or twice within the the special, he talks about uh, 
very explicitly uh, killing himself. And it feels sometimes like it's too abrupt and perhaps not um, not as clever and as introspective as the rest of it. Like, I I understand. Like, it's it's suicide and there's something abrupt and something terrible about that. But at the same time, like, it takes me out. I'm like, I'm cringing and I'm like, this this might be like we talked about must be hard like if someone is actually suicidal watching this like there's parts of me who is like projecting like could you say something else here like See, he ends i'm turning 30 with like i'll yeah. kill myself in 10 years like you could leave that out i don't think the song actually needs that and you still have the yeah. same content it doesn't rhyme with anything later in the the the, the special i i'm just cringing always, at that yeah it gets a little too like close to I the agree. void for me the the um he's always had a dark edge to his comedy so part of like those kind of things make me feel like okay this is him sort of living up to those expectations i don't know like yeah especially in the beginning when he's talking about how like he's doing this special because it's gonna you know gets his mind off putting his like a gun to his head at that point i'm just like okay well he he puts it says he hopes the special helps you distract the like in the way that he has to have been distracted and he says, put a yeah. bullet in the he- in my head with a gun and the way yeah, he that says part. that like he, he emphasizes it three different times uh that also like it made me cringe like i'm fine yeah. with references to, to direct references of ex- like saying oh i'm feeling suicidal that's fine I, but I it just seems like contrived. a bullet I there were in cringy- my head with a gun say a bullet in my head move on but I, it, it yeah. just it's just anyway yeah I, I was uh I felt with that line he was kind of leaning into like the awkward I'm you know don't yes, know how I to think... I I feel like he was leaning into that with that line specifically but I was gonna say the reason I asked Chandler what lines he was refer or referencing specifically is because I cringed at not not at the same reason you guys were I I thought those were fine admittedly but um the moments I cringed were where he would like become meta about the filmmaking. Like right after the line you're talking about, he starts going, the transitions in this in this comedy special, yeah. right? And then oh, he I, cuts. He, that and I'm like, that I love was that, that was kind of cringe. No, what I are you like talking that. about? That's I, good. Like on the third watch, you're just like, okay, dude, like we get it. You know how to make films. We understand. That's funny. That, that uh, is that is a that kind of cut is very much a like a modern YouTube style edit. Yes, that, that which is. A lot, of the sec- that, a lot of that, that is, I was going to reference It is a too. special about that kind of stuff and emulating yeah. the style of Instagram or Let's Plays or reaction. So that feels like a, a reflection of, of real life uh, content that fits. For there's me. there's a similar joke in Make Happy where he's on stage talking about like what a continuity error is and he's explaining the joke. And it's one of those jokes where it's not for the audience because in the middle of him explaining what a continuity error is like literally mid word, it cuts to him performing the same exact joke at a different night. And he's wearing like a completely different outfit. So he's done shit like that before. And I agree like that moment almost made me cringe, but it was so (laughs) minor that I just, whatever. Cause the thing is, I, I see a lot of people who don't like this because of those moments. Um, and I can mm. understand some of them definitely teeter the line on being constructed. But what saves it for me in general, like what makes those problems so minor is because those like while at times the the execution, the performance can feel a little contrived and constructed. 
I do feel that it comes from a very genuine place. Yes, yes. Like, the whole thing is completely genuine. Bo's, like, personality or his cultural or um, his cultural icon status. Like, if you go through his history, he's always been, like, very secluded, secretive. He doesn't speak much. He doesn't tweet much. So he, like, even though, you know, it could seem like, oh, I'm sad. Look at me. He doesn't act like that outside of these specials. So I feel like these are like moments where he can be completely true and honest. And even if it doesn't exactly resonate, it still feels real. And that's what I think is so compelling about it. And there's a very interesting dramatic irony that I think not not everyone picks up on on the whole special. And I think it it's one of like something I've picked up on specifically. Here's the specific example of. FaceTime with my mom, I think, has a, a direct correlation later on in the special to All Eyes on Me, ironically enough. Um, and there's a great moment that a lot of people talk about in uh, uh, White Woman's Instagram uh, where the the aspect ratio goes from uh, one by one, which is the, the Instagram, and it, it goes out. And this is a moment when uh, he is the, the white woman, the titular white woman is expressing... <laughs> Uh, her her thoughts about her her parents who are gone and uh, kind of being quote unquote genuine for a moment and a lot of people think like this is a a humanizing moment of like a lot of Instagram social media is are about these kind of like surface level sharing things of uh, golden retriever in a coffee cup uh, all these kinds of things that he's listing out in the song fake and realities then, if you will right yes. and then. Every once in a while, and in this particular moment, this person, whoever is uh, uh, Bo Burnham's the titular uh, white, woman. white woman alter ego, uh, shares something genuine on Instagram. The there, there's an interesting dramatic the irony, thing? irony yeah. there, where like on one hand, it's a humanizing moment of where like people who post this superficial stuff, they they have real lives, real issues, and it's not about like we we tend to judge them based upon. They're posting superficial things and then we're judging them based on the superficial things they're posting when really that's not a reflection of reality whatsoever. The yeah. irony here, and that's like what a lot of people are picking up on in that song. And I think that's correct. The irony here, of course, is that this white woman is still posting on Instagram memories and stuff about her, her parents and very kind of personal stuff. And the, I think, Bo is specifically getting at your kind of like selling your your emotional problems and your personal problems and putting them out there on social media as a, a way to get attention, yada, yada, yada. There's still something superficial about it, still something performative about it. And I think that's reiterated later on. And this, again, goes back to the, the, the structure of the whole thing where it goes down. It gets more about the personal later on is that when mm -hmm. it gets to all eyes on me, that song, and I think he's also doing the same thing and commenting explicitly about that himself of where this entire special is him expressing himself in a very personal way, uh, but he's also making money off of it. And it's also a special and there's also something superficial about it. And it is yeah. performative. Like we don't know, we don't know where the performance stops and starts. Like it, how much is real, how much is genuine. You talked about how it feels genuine and it does. And it probably is. But there is something you're not like you can't quite be sure. And there's there's 
just something like the performative nature of all, all eyes on me of like the clapping, especially and near the end where he he goes outside and there's a, a crowd there and he tries to get mm-hmm. back inside and like fleeing the the watchful eyes of people and sharing everything everything just being out on a stage these days of of just every you're expected to share all about yourself and be personal and all that kind of stuff and the harmful nature of being so open in kind of a, this this the superficiality of the platforms and then the kind of superficialness that they promote and i think like <laughs> all i how i kind of reflected on all eyes on me though was i feel that's like that's one kind reading of, it's not the main reading yeah it's like the it's like the 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 um if there is an arc if there is a character that you know is going through an arc this would be you know I don't I don't write scripts but this would be the the uh, the epilogue of the character perhaps it's kind of like that moment where he's admitting you know get your get your fucking hands up get out of your seat all eyes on me like I want the attention I want a crowd I want to be able to perform however it's it's still going to be a journey to get there because once you're standing up, you got to put your hands back down and pray for me because you know, it's I'm, I want to perform. I want to be able to do this, but I'm still having this, this crisis and these, these anxieties, but you know, like I'm going to fight through it almost. And it's kind of how I like reflected on that song. So it's kind of like a closing moment for the character. And then, you know, the next song is that goodbye uh, to the project. Which is great. Kind of. I am a sucker for any sort of closing song that incorporates melodies, reprises them. Mm-hmm. That always makes me. Oh, that always kills me. oh, oh shit. They do a lot in You're really of, joking. Um, look who's inside. Yes, yeah. the look who's inside again with the compressed lyrics. <laughs> I, I shit and come <laughs> every time. Look I, sh- I, I simultaneously shit and ejaculate every it, time it, I hear it. I fart. Ditto. I farted. Ditto. There was a fart. <laughs> well, well, the cousin's It kind of sounds like a, it, it reminds me of like a weird Yeezus thing. So, yeah, well, the, a yeah, lot of what you know, Bo does with his production reminds me of what, Kanye a lot. I love, so when I look who's inside again, uh, went out to look for a reason to hide again. Yes. Mm. Yes. It's great. It's great. <laughs> it, Not just great, like that. Well, yes. well, look. yes, it's depression. the exact, it, is, it is a perfect, it is a perfect two sentence description of anxiety. It's all you need to hear. It perfectly summarizes thematically the piece is those two. And I think that's why he ends it with that little, is that the, a couplet? Yeah. Whatever those, the four lines are, he ends it with that pretty much as well. So there was some question earlier of like, whether this is a, um, uh what's what's the, uh, optimistic or pessimistic uh yeah, yeah. ultimately and i'm gonna kind of i don't know i really don't because i think it's it's so mm-hmm. incredibly pessimistic but i also feel like there's the why why would he put something out so dark and pessimistic if not to try I think and it is express it is well i'm saying like you could go either way and i think it's depending on how you want to read this but for me an interesting line in I think all eyes on me um, is he try to remember real quick. Um, What do you need? He's talking. He's no, no, no. So he's sharing. 
it's interesting how like <laughs> when I'm listening to the music and then I press pause and then like I'm going over the lyrics in my head, I can easily like remember all of them. And then as soon as I try to remember with you guys, I'm like, what? lyrics, what What are those? <laughs> um, no, but at the end, he's talking about how like he he's ready to reenter the world and he's been working on his mental health and there's all uh, he's getting better. Positive you say stuff. The oceans and then, like I give a shit. You say and the then, ending, the funniest already, thing, the funniest thing happened, i.e., the pandemic. Yes. And I think I think Bo and I are very much on the same page in that uh, there's always going to be a reason to be depressed. There's always going to be something like a, the cyc- cyclical nature of uh, you there's might be ready, but the world might not anxious. be ready. There's always the world, be something to be worried about. There's always the world might be might be at you. You might be uh, at yourself. Um, and it's just that for me, like some people that might be incredibly pessimistic, but that's optimistic that like you. Well, I, it's comforting. Yeah, I um, think I, I see it as optimistic because I think the ref, like the final reflection on a lot of those thematic things he introduces, like, you know, greed and, um, you know, all the issues were, were, were being faced with in civil war and all that. He, um, I think he reflects on that in funny feeling. If like, if all eyes on me is kind of the, his reflection of himself, all eyes on or funny feeling would be like that reflection on the themes. And it, it ends with the last part is, um, Hey, what can I say? We were overdue, but it'll be over soon. You wait. And it kind of like repeats and it's kind of like, <laughs> it like slowly echoes and it like fades out. So I see the lyrics as almost optimistic, but then the way he kind of ends the song where it kind of peters out and slowly fades to black, it's almost like he's like repeating that to him. It's like he's saying it to himself and he has to keep repeating it. It's almost like he doesn't believe it himself. So that's like another one of those weird moments where I feel like overall with the way the place it ends in, I feel like it is optimistic. Well, well, I mean, I think ends, the themes are obviously very pessimistic, especially he, he, the puppet song. He ends by by smiling. Yeah, but well, he, he smiles. He smiles is, at the audience, laughing at him. Okay. Yes, but I, I can't help but interpret. I don't know exactly what he's getting at, but I can't help but interpret that as some kind of acceptance of the 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 meaninglessness the cyclical nature of all that kind of whatever the he's struggling he's having that situation with himself but he still finds solace in knowing that he can still make people well, laugh and a, and a lot end, of it's you know? it's about self awareness i think a lot of what what bo is getting at where a lot of maybe his his anxiety is coming from is the self awareness and this part of this comes like problematic i don't think we've mentioned that song yet um, that's, that's one of my of, like, favorites being aware of your own issues, your own problems within a social context and then within your own like performative context. Um, and that the, the issue where a lot of this anxiety comes from on like social media and all that kind of stuff is being aware of yourself too much. And that the only solution is to just be okay with that eventually. Like it, it's, it doesn't, it's difficult. I'm not sure if I can explain it well right now. But that's... My my interpretation, I of what? I go I the whole thing. Uh, I well, lean they, more they... towards optimism, this special because I feel like a lot of the more negative, the lot of more cynical moments of this are more reflective, not necessarily of his worldview, but are reflective in what I interpret to be 
um, the representation of his depressive episodes where he gets in those depressive episodes. Sometimes his creativity spikes and when his creativity spikes in a depressive episode. He's going to lean towards the more pessimistic stuff. But then like the fact that it doesn't end on funny feeling. If it ended on funny feeling, that feels like a very somber note. That's his mm. final message. Uh, the fact that it goes to all eyes on me and the fact that at the end, what I see that final scene is him looking at that struggle, that that scene of him trying to get out, him laughing at it, realizing, you know, my interpretation is that he realizes, oh, that was nothing. Like I was freaking out over nothing. In retrospect, I had nothing to worry about. It's it sort of he laughs at or with himself, I guess, with the audience, with himself. I'm not sure. To me, it just feels like it. in retrospect, he found that there was no real he was in no real danger. He was freaking out over nothing. And maybe that's sort of his, his he's suggesting that a lot of these anxieties are mostly in his head. I don't know. Well, you could also say like the the imagery of him trying to go back inside after emerging and having the crowd there and not being able to go back inside is partially just saying that. You know, even though he quit comedy and couldn't be in front of an audience, there's there's always, always an audience in 21st mm-hmm. century life. And you you just can't escape it. And the, either uh, you, you laugh at the tragedy of, of the situation. You just accept that. Just like, no, hang. I can't go back inside again. I want to. <laughs> yeah, I literally can't. Just can't. good come out with your hands up we've got you surrounded and then when he gets out there it's almost like there's a helicopter spotlight like on speaking at the door back in the point i was making earlier the line one of the lines i think there's quite a few that that mention like the the cyclical nature of there's always going to be more problems is uh, it's almost over it's just begun it it's very cathartic like in a deeply melancholic and sad way I get, but also very like I watch it and it feels like I'm purging something inside of me or I'm relating in a way that is helpful and makes you feel not alone, which I think is the best. The the thing that this has really accomplished, I think for a lot of people, even if they don't have depression, all that kind of stuff and are dealing with that is just the relatability of living with the pandemic, living inside, living on the internet and all that kind of stuff and the performative nature of a lot of what we do and just having something that feels uh, like the the expression itself feels very modern, feels millennial in the way that it's created, the the editing and all that kind of stuff and being able to, to just kind of relate to it on an artistic level, on a thematic level, on all those levels, just it's... Well, for me, it's cathartic, and I think a lot of people, that was what connected with them. I was going to reference earlier, too, that I definitely feel the YouTube influence. There was a lot of, there were a lot of, like, shots or compositions that kind of felt like a weird, like, like, early Casey Neistat shot. You know, like, those ones where he would, like, set up the camera, and then he would, like, walk away and then film, like, him walking towards it and getting it and shit. I feel like there was a lot of that that Bo Burnham did in there. And then the song comedy, the way it's filmed after he start, you know, um, 
after it, it goes into the different segment, it starts as the piano and then it goes into the more poppy thing where he's making jokes. I feel like once it gets to that poppy part, it almost feels like a like a 2013 era like Niga Higa video or like <laughs> <laughs> like the lighting and the way he does like yeah. those those it's almost like it's like a it's like a montage of him being an idiot with like post zooms. It like feels like a YouTube video. Um and yeah, I think yeah. that was the moment that really hooked me to the the you know the his vision for the film being that um style. Uh, what's everybody's I think, favorite song? Yeah, one second, real quick. Uh, just I think we're gonna run out of time, Chandler. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. Well, not only that, so, but my AirPods are about to die. Okay, so so we're gonna Sad. skip just just so give people a heads up. Uh, we're skipping Goodfellas. You'll probably already know that because I won't include it in the thumbnail. Uh, but we did talk about that earlier in the episode, so we're skipping that. We'll do that uh, its own separate uh, deal, and we'll we'll finish up our thoughts. Favorite favorite song on Inside. Look, look who's in, inside, inside again. Look who's in inside again. <laughs> look who's inside again. Uh, I'm going to be basic and say uh, welcome to the Internet, because not only is it like welcome a Danny Elf to the Disney internet. villain jam, yes. jam but I, that one. God, th- there's so much to it that it, it's everything I love about Bo Burnham. It's funny uh, that hard cut to you should kill your mom. <laughs> You should, you should kill your mom. Obama sent <laughs> the made... immigrants to vaccinate your kids. <laughs> your kids. It's that that kind Did of like uh, that kind of musical aesthetic I've always loved. Um, uh, Nick would know it also sounds very much like a Grant Kirkhope banjo kazooie composition. Yes, um, yes. It's very it's very fun. But that lyric. Like, God, just the lyric. Could I interest you in everything all of the time? I'm like, that is that's that is the Internet. That Everything is it. all of the time. If if none of it's of interest to you, to you, you'd be the first. Um, it's just there's so many layers to it. It's very fun. It's very catchy. Uh, yeah, it's apocalyptic. I love his juxtapositions love in that song. Like he says, uh, you know, fight for fight for civil rights or tweet a racial tweet slur. A racial slur. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like just there's nine polar nine tips for straining pasta. Here's a nine year old. Here's a nine year old. That's so yes. true. It's I think which the, power ranger are you? Take this quirky quiz. Obama sent the immigrants to vaccinate your kids. I yeah. I won't. I interest you? I'm not going to say it's my favorite song, but I think I will uh, echo Chandler in, in at least the quality of "Welcome to the Internet." And I think they made the correct choice. That's the one song they put on the uh, the internet to kind of yeah. promote the the whole thing. And I think that if you like people who are not necessarily the target demographic, older people, and this is what I'm going to do with my dad. I'm going to say, hey. This is this is the best movie of uh, 2021, and I don't think that's going to change for me. Um, whoa, whoa! And French Dispatch. The French Dispatch comes out soon, buddy. French Jack Dispatch. French okay. Dispatch <laughs> and Dune have such Jack a lot, so, so so much work to. Could you to, imagine to if December 2021, Jacob Kaufman is going to say Dune is not as good as Bo Burns? <laughs> I'm going to say it. Uh, I'm predicting it now. Anyway, uh, but I'm going to go to my dad and say, this is the best thing I've seen all year so far. And I would like to recommend it to you, but I'm not sure if you're going to like it whatsoever or relate to it at all. Watch Welcome to the Internet. And if if you find some meaning uh, that connects with you in that, maybe give out the maybe give the special a try. I think that's a good 
I agree. Little, little teaser. And if you if you don't, if it's not, but Burnham's not your thing, and you know you're not gonna gonna like it, watch that, and you'll get a, a taste of what he's trying to get at. See, I think sampler. I did the I think I did the worst thing because I sent my mom FaceTime with my mom, obviously. And she probably thought going into it, it was going to be like a collection of Lonely Island songs. Um, yeah, that one's and, the most like <laughs> that. That and comedy sexting, comedy. I feel uh, like se- no. sexting as a sexting as a little bit thematically that relates, obviously, like the isolation and having to text for sexual interactions. But I feel like sexting and FaceTime with my mom are two of the ones that kind of stand out to me as like. Maybe yeah. they feel kind of not out, like maybe out of place a little bit. I um, sexting maybe, but I think the point again, the like visuals you know, of sexting are are some of the best though, especially the rear projections of like titties. Yeah, but I, I think you know there. he's getting <laughs> that's like the less personal side of the special, and so I think they fit there. In particular, FaceTime with my mom is like the first like content and comedy are like part of like the opening. Uh, sequence of the film and then FaceTime with my mom is directly after that kind of introduction of like oh I filmed this special by myself in this room and it's it might not be perfect and some of the cuts might be cut to FaceTime with my mom and it's kind of like just like the fun kind of get you in the mood yeah, and the vibe yeah, kind yeah, of start warm you up. off start you off only like you a, expect it's only like a minute 15 seconds and it's actually I think it's a pretty good jam it's it's, it's nice it's to great. listen to it's great it's nice. I agree but yes, if 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 uh, if 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 FaceTime with my mom had been put, that's a little reference for you there, uh, had been put yes, later yes. on in inside. Yes. Yes, it would feel very much out of place. Oh, and if you are also if you are also a very artistic um, man whose uh, father is a totalitarian um, businessman that doesn't know what art is, you can also relate to that line where they talk about how. Uh, how you doing, bud? I'm not so bad. That's the deepest talk we've ever had. So I mean, there's a lot to relate to in uh, yeah in this for me. <laughs> not to tell it keeps the best, but we keeps have different we have different outlooks on life. Clearly, yeah. The wait, wait, Jacob, would you say what your favorite song was? Oh no, I didn't. Uh, ooh, well, it, it's probably all eyes on me. Probably, yeah. That well, yeah, I, I think s- objectively the best song is Funny Feeling. But yes, I think I that yeah, I would say funny yeah. feeling is probably I would say my favorite, though, is is the in um, look who's inside again. But it's a close second is problematic just in terms of like like the musical composition of problematic, I think is the best. I think it's the most it's the biggest jam. It is if also gonna, if I'm going to listen to it as a song and not as yeah. like a, a reflection piece that like problematic would be the one I would listen to. I think it's also one of the most visually interesting ones. Yeah, I was going to say problematic so looks like the last funny. 10 minutes of whiplash. And I love the whole thing. The, the, after the second verse, there's like five or six shots in a row of just his belly button. He just keeps <laughs> cutting back to his sweaty belly button. Then he like sticks a water <laughs> bottle and squirts. It, it is so gross, but it's funny. very funny. I also, I find it interesting that um, there's some Christ-like imagery in that song. Which oh, I, I think you that's can, you the best unpack. shot. That might be the best He also moment. has a uh, 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 cross earrings or not yes on he has one um, too he also very interesting i think uh bo burnham with his hair grown out and everything has a very like millennial jesus vibe to him i agree millennial agree. jesus he could easily be uh brian 
Brian, where did I? He could also play in in another world. He could he might millennial be able to play Jesus. Nate. He might be able to play Nate. He might I be agree. able to play Nate Shuckman in the Jackie Boy uh, <laughs> biopic. <laughs> also, he is absurdly tall. Yeah, he's like six five, six six oh, or something. Yeah, like that. he he's Pete he, height. At the very he's beginning of the of the special, when he's walking in and you're just getting used to he like the perspective of the, the room, door, yeah. <laughs> he like he look he's taller than the door frame itself, and it looks like he's in like this kind of comical, mm-hmm. shrunken down house. But that's just a normal house. He makes a joke he's about that at some point too. I'm not sure at what point it is, but he makes a joke about how oh, it's when he's playing the video game, which was another good part. He's like he's like playing the video game and the commentator's like, I- is this guy just really large or is the room small? I'm having I'm having a hard time uh, <laughs> processing that. Speaking of seeing Bo Burnham and his physicality uh, in White Woman Instagram, there's a specific shot where he's not wearing any pants or underwear and it's just a shirt. And he has the pretty, plaid shirt on. Pretty sure you can see just a wee sliver of his dick. Well, the fact that you were re- the fact that you were really searching it out, you were going frame by Jacob was well, going frame was, by Jacob frame. Was Jacob was going frame by frame, guy. looking for penis, looking for bow penis, going frame by frame. Not that that's a bad. Hey, now there's anything wrong yeah. with that. It's funny. He I, that whole shirt what makes me laugh is that he's got the Ariana Grande sleeves. Yes, it's so funny, <laughs> and I love how his legs are kind of like curled up. Like he's he like, he has the posture and the mannerism down. It's and then so when he brings funny. the avocado out from behind the shirt, yeah, that's he's funny. like gently holding the shirt, and he's like, "It's ama- It's incredible. So yeah, I, I love it's it. It's Sako. It is. I'm very excited. I, I, I passively recommended it to Nick. I had no idea that within a week, you guys would be. If anything, I think you guys like it more than I do. I, I may, like it yeah. Well, I, I after this my fourth watch bumped it to a five stars. It's going to five stars. And, and our friend Sanji really likes it too. Um, just, after yeah, I just watched his video on it. Yeah. Oh, he published it today. He did. No, he sent it to me. Did he oh. publish it today? He sent it. To I me. thought he said he published it today on Instagram. Oh, maybe he did. Oh, okay, maybe. Okay. Um, what was I saying? If that's the case, go check it out. Uh, YouTube Brandon Sanji. Oh, yes. For that so one. after I watched it the second time, I felt, oh, it's time. It's time to make a best of twenty twenty one movie list which i have five movies on now um and it's obviously number one it is also i I, prematurely i've created a best of the 2020s decade list of which it is number one wow uh so yeah i guess now it's definitely my best of 2021 i mean all it has to uh, go up against his the Justice League and Woman in the Window so good job Bosef (laughs) that's some strong (laughs) stiff competition Stiff in the age of content yeah so yeah it, i mean it, i will definitely watch it again sometime soon i feel that it does also have a film of the year contender for me but i'm very excited for french dispatch so we'll yes yeah how do you guys i know this is far far uh beyond any reasonable you know thought does it have a chance at the at no no no, no at in anything. I think I think they're gonna shit on the fact that it's a co- actually like technically a comedy special. I I think it will I be a, do a real a real shame if it doesn't get nominated, and it won't. It, it won't. won't. It could. It might be best original song because it's on Netflix. Yeah. Yes. Best original song. Maybe. I think. And I, 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 think I do maybe think how it has the world a, works could get a, a nomination. Much. 
it has a much better chance of potentially being nominated and maybe even winning for best musical at the Golden Globes. I, at this point, the only award show that I give a shit about, I love the Independent Spirit Awards. I hope he cleans up. Other than that, I don't know. Independent Spirit Awards for best actor would be interesting. Probably, probably has some will contend at the Grammys for something. I don't know. I've known nothing about the Grammys, but this is a good yeah, music. The Grammys so, are, yeah, the Grammys are hell. Uh, but uh, the one, the one, like, not an award, but like a movie list of the year of all the publications, I can see our good friends uh, at Cahiers uh, du Cinema and Jean-Luc Godard, who always put out the most ab- absurd lists every year. Um, they were the ones that put uh, Twin Peaks The Return at like the top of their decade list, uh, which isn't it's, even potentially a that's movie. Exceptionally uh, based. I, I could see them putting it at the end at the, their top ten films of the year. Those those silly Hopefully French. Hopefully, Paul Schrader uh, lets it on his list. Um, I don't know if it'll beat out Paul Schrader's film, but uh, he. <laughs> for anyone who doesn't know, Paul Schrader put First Reformed on one of his uh, top ten movies of the decade. It's <laughs> <laughs> really based of him, honestly. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm gonna disagree. Friend of with the that. show, Paul Schrader. <laughs> <laughs> Outs outside with Paul Schrader. Facebook author <laughs> Paul. Schrader. Look, if if he was like a Miyazaki wholesome type, and had put his movie on there, then I'd be like, that's silly. But you know, you're a genuine person. He he's just an absurd person online, and I don't think there's anything remotely based so or epic <laughs> about Paul him Schrader, about him patting himself on the back for first reform it's funny look ever, ever since trump became president i think pre-trump presidency he had arguably the funniest twitter online uh paul schrader's filling that hole for me because now i can't look i can't even laugh at a lot of trump's old tweets anymore paul schrader is now filling that senile old weirdo how about Hul- how about hulk hogan how he, he ends he, he ends he ends every he ends every tweet with hh <laughs> he'll be like i think when uh he tweeted one time he's like i'm sad brother hh that was the whole tweet it was one of the best things i've ever seen james Kahn always uh ends his tweet with end of it's tweet. end of tweet <laughs> <laughs> Those are so funny. Like every day he'll just post a still from a movie he was in 40 years ago and say end of tweet. (laughs) Caption, the whole caption is end of tweet. Twitter's a strange place. All right. So that was the uh, episode of the Split Take podcast. Uh, We are going to we're going to push Goodfellas later, whenever that is. Uh, And then find another movie to pair it with now. Maybe we no, no, we have to do we were also going to do our spotlight episode for Raiders of the Lost Ark. We have to do that next week. So Chandler has it still freshed in his mind if he wants to do it. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, Goodfellas and Bad Grandpa. (laughs) Damn. Now our now our uh, our podcast behind the scenes episode title of uh, Inside Fellas doesn't work anymore. No, Uh, we are the inside fellas. (laughs) That's our new, uh, we found it. Our new YouTube channel name, Inside Fellows. I, dude, Beautiful. every time they do one of these and I am on, I try to make a pun of the movie titles every time and it has killed me to my core that I could not come up with a good Inside Goodfellas pun. I There was something about get your fucking 
get your fucking shine, shine box. box. Like I was trying to come up with a joke for that. I was trying to come up with a joke involving that, but I really could not get inside your fucking shine box. Yeah, that's, I guess that's pretty good. Get your that's, fucking shine box in the air. This is perhaps good because now I can finish the, the Goodfellas commentary. Box. I just got that. I can f- I can actually watch the and Goodfellas. I, I actually I actually wanted. I think I need to do a little bit more preparation to be able to adequate, adequately express as this is our first Scorsese uh, conversation. Anyway, uh, enough about that. The narrative taught in every history class is the monstrably false and pedagogically classist. Don't you know the world is built with blood and genocide and exploitation? The global network okay, of capital still. essentially functions to separate the Subscribe world from to the, the means of production. <laughs> on YouTube, FBI go to our website, Martin The Film Sink. Episode 69, it's been fun. We have a Discord, I'll try to link it or I'll forget. Link this time. I went back and relinked it. Uh, oh, nice. And we play Minecraft. We have Letterboxd, Counts, I always link those. Yeah. Um, is how yeah. the world That's how the podcast is. Thanks for listening. That Thanks. is how the world Finish us. Uh, take us out, Nick. That's how <laughs> it works. Wonderful. Wonderful.